Hello and welcome to this episode of the podcast. I'm your host, Dave. I am here with co-host Brooke Jamison. And today we have the pleasure of speaking to Caroline Gluck, who's a senior cloud application architect at AWS. Caroline, thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here today. We're going to talk today a little bit about artificial intelligence and how it's helping productivity in the cloud, whether that's looking at our infrastructure or it's giving us ways to actually create modern apps. And I'm really excited because you're out there, you're in AWS professional services and you're working directly with customers. So you're seeing what's real and our audience loves, if anything, we are authentic here. We might not have all the answers, but they love hearing about real world and you know what are all of the gotchas and the lessons learned. So why don't we go ahead and just start with, you know, your your entire background and what that that journey to the cloud looked like for you. Yeah, absolutely. So um I started my whole technology journey actually in high school and I was a part of the robotics team and Really? Oh, wow, they had robotics in high school? That's amazing. Yes. We built a robot that would compete in competitions. And um, what I'm remembering is they had to like throw a basketball through a hoop or something. And I guess the tech coding side of things, digital side of things, I should say, has always been what I've been drawn to because I was on the computer catting things up, if you guys know what that is, making sure all the pieces fit together. But little did I know that this would be my um, intro into the whole world of technology. My parents would always like push me in that direction. And I certainly tried to rebel, but I ended up, for better or worse, <laughs> studying computer science in college. So I guess I was always on that track. And um, I was working as a software engineer before joining AWS and quite honestly had no cloud experience and started in professional services and very quickly learned. So it's been a really awesome journey. Um, the past three years at AWS, time has really flown. Can you define what AWS professional services is uh, for the audience? I'm not sure everybody knows. Yeah, absolutely. So professional services works like you know most other consulting firms. And so we go into a team or an organization at a different company and we help them do, you know, whatever task it is that they really need. So whether that's laying the foundations to start building on the cloud or taking an app and turning it into a productionalized version of a POC or migrating something to the cloud. You know, I would say every customer looks a little different in what they need done, but, you know, we're always there to help, you know, enable innovation and really at the end use technology to drive their business values forward. Yeah. And so I worked at a professional services firm, like an AWS partner before I worked at AWS. And when people ask me how to get experience in machine learning, I always say go and work in professional services, because if you want to learn how to operationalize machine learning, you can just do that as a job all the time. Do you think working in professional services has changed or shaped how you approach AI in development now? Yeah, absolutely. I had very little experience with AI before. It was, it was talked about a lot, right? We're supposed to be implementing it a lot and we and we never quite got there. And, you know, if you want experience with something, I totally agree, Brooke, right? Like they'll just throw you in and, you know, you're learning on the job and, you know, with, with the help of a bunch of other really smart, successful people who are experts in the field. But, you know, you get to go and be an apprentice and learn really quickly. And so I think the really cool thing about where we're at with AI right now in the industry is you can leverage it and you can get really far using it without really knowing a lot of what's happening under the hood. So I think that's a really cool place to be and how to leverage all it has to offer without having to 
be an expert in um, in like the data science and what's powering behind it, the models. Yeah, I heard it explained as like standing on the shoulders of giants another time, especially with the really the turnkey services that AWS has. You don't have to work out how to tune hyperparameters on the model. You can just sort of jump in and integrate with it. So it's super helpful. I think working in professional services, you also just always view it as how, like, how is this a tool that I can use to help solve customers' problems rather than like, can I do art for art's sake? It's just more outcomes focused, I guess. So at reInvent, I was asking lots of people what their first job in tech was, because I think it's really important to show the journey. It's really easy to say, oh, this person's a senior vice president of something. But being able to go back and look at the whole journey, I think it's really accessible for people so they can understand a whole career journey in tech. So Carolyn, what was your first job in tech? So one summer in between college, I or in between years of college, I, you know, was really wanted an internship in New York City, really didn't want to be living at home. And I was submitting my resume everywhere, like everywhere I could ever imagine. And um, I had really no practical experience. And I really didn't understand how studying computer science and writing these like little code applications turned into an app on my iPhone. I was like, I don't understand how one becomes other. Thankfully, this fashion company accepted me in their IT department. I was really excited to be behind the doors of a Soho company. And um, I built this built this system that turned this Excel sheet that they tracked like sample pieces on into, you know, this like small little program. So it ran a little bit more efficiently and they stopped losing um, items of clothing they were trying to build. So looking back at it, (laughs) I don't think I did that much, but it was a really awesome experience for me to understand how business relates to the technology and how we could solve those problems in a more efficient way. Yeah, definitely. For people that don't know, in fashion, uh, samples are sort of like prototypes and you get lots of rounds of these prototypes as they improve iteratively as you go back and forth from factories or your manufacturers. Um, And it gets really hectic because they might look almost exactly the same, but they're slightly different versions of the same product. So being able to track where they are is a chaotic nightmare if you are not. (laughs) Wow. Is it like, does it depend on the designer too? Like will a designer, some designers like iterate through a bunch of those? Or is there like, it's typically only a handful that happen? Or is there like someone that had 20 different designs? Oh, it really depends. I'm just super curious. So a job that exists is called being a fit model. This is a a fashion sidebar for everyone. So a fit model is a model that they don't care what you look like in the face. Um, They just care that your measurements (laughs) are exactly. No, no, no. But your measurements have to be exactly perfect. So. Oh, I see. Yeah. I did this for a really big retailer in Australia and I was their size. And then they tailored every single item in the store to me. And then they scaled up and down from the other sizes from there. So then I was the one that was in all of these like sample iterations. So sometimes depending on the type of fabric or if they switched factories or something, or just like the shape of a garment wasn't working, they would have to go through more rounds of sampling. But yeah, it's just like a prototyping process and things can go strangely in the same way that software prototyping can go strangely. And the same thing with software is the more rounds of this you have to do, the more expensive it gets, obviously, over time. So you want to be minimizing that and keeping track of yeah. everything. And so, sort of like versioning, I guess. Yeah. A similar concept. And so, Caroline, you were saving all of that. You were saving the iterations yeah. of the final dresses that were <laughs> fitting Brooke and uh, everything for, for customers to buy. So, And I hear you, like, as someone who took a computer science degree, it was all theory. <laughs> and... 
the best thing that I learned, well, I guess I always had this even as a little kid was I just loved learning and I still love learning. And I feel like that's what you learn in tech on your first job is, oh, I can understand what the business problem is. And then I learn it's like a vocation, right? It's like a skill set. It's not, I wish they, and maybe they, maybe they do this now in college, but I wish in college they would say, you're just building up the mental muscles in order to continually learn all the changes that are going to come in tech. There's no technology that you're learning here that you may use on the job. <laughs> I have very rarely used C++ again. However, I got really good at teaching myself new languages and um, how to become a Stack Overflow expert in college. <laughs> yeah. What's your favorite language right now? I'm, I'm hot on Python right now. I'm, I'm very into Python right now. It's, I've been doing a lot of um, like data science modeling with one of my customers. And so it's been really fun to iterate and um, quickly become an expert in pandas as well. Yes. And it's, you know, and speaking of data modeling and Python and that whole, I, I took the day one machine learning course, uh, ML, MLU university. So I actually know what SageMaker is now and notebooks and, and all of that. And we can, we can define some of that stuff as we go, but can we baseline some of this now? So when you're talking about data model, when you're talking about artificial intelligence operations. There's, you know, there's so many acronyms in this space. Can we just kind of level set the terms that uh, the audience needs to understand when we're looking at being more productive using AI? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I want to come back to the point that a lot of what we're, like I want to talk about today are some of the services that Brooke mentioned are turnkey, right? So yeah. some of these words that are, you know, really popular right now, some really big key items, right? Like AI, AI ops, um, to use a lot of these services, um, they're pretty functional right out of the box. So any kind of data science knowledge, machine learning knowledge, it's, it's pretty optional um, to really take these things and run. And so when you think about AI ops, it's how can I use artificial intelligence to operationalize my application better, right? So how can I use these artificial intelligence tools and iterate quicker, um, you know, find my bugs faster and really drive innovation rather than spending my time on maintenance and, um, you know, all those fun things that come along with getting something up and running and staying up and running. So when you're going out to a customer, is this something that's always on their mind? Like uh, we just did an episode uh, with Laura Hyatt like on resiliency and, you know, trying to explain to customers why they should care about these things. Do you start with that? Like, how do you explain why this is important and what are the, the complexities and, the, and the, the cost savings and everything that's happening for customers? Or is it a conversation they, they seem to already be having? And when you, when you come in, it's about really making it real, which services and things like that. You know, I would say every customer we come into, they're in a different part of their cloud journey. They're in a different part of their um, technology journey. And so it definitely, the conversation looks a little bit different based on who they are, where they are in their journey. But I think something I always try to emphasize is wherever we're going, whatever we're doing, like let's think about the scalability, right? Let's think about right. how to use our resources wisely. Let's think about how many hands we're going to have on deck, you know, whether us as pro server there, you know, after we leave, like how can we really be efficient with our time and make sure that the code we're writing, right? Like this is going to scale to where we see things going in a year from now. And I think that applies to the infrastructure too, right? How can we maintain this infrastructure? How is it going to scale to fit your needs once this thing goes live or once we, you know, gain that 50% adoption we expect in the next couple months, um, whatever that looks like. And I think when we're talking about taking this app and scaling it, 
leveraging AI ops to do a lot of that maintenance rather than doing it manually really comes into play there. And so the cool thing about a lot of these services is they're pretty low cost and it's a pretty low barrier to entry. So nine times out of 10 customers are like, it's free. Yeah. Like, let's do it. Like, sure. And then something happens and you get to see how great it is in the moment. Um, You know, whether it's like DevOps guru catching a um, like anomaly in your Lambda that all of a sudden failed after, you know, you push some new code or, oh, we didn't start writing unit tests and now you have to go back and backtrack and, you know, you can leverage Code Whisper to get those up and running really fast. Um, and then people are like, oh, you know, and they start connecting the dots and realizing, you know, this is going to make it a lot more efficient. Yeah, definitely. I think one of the problems that a lot of developers have is that they know that their organization would benefit from services like Code Whisper and DevOps Guru, but they don't know how to have that conversation with the senior leaders at their company to sort of sell internally, I guess, on why we need to be doing this or why this would help. As someone that would be having those conversations on the other side, do you have any tips for people in getting their point across in those conversations? Well, you know, knowing that we work at Amazon, I always like to bring a lot of data to back up those conversations, right? So if you have, and I hope this isn't the case, but unfortunately it is when you're working in technology, right? You have a couple of sevs, you have a couple of outages, right? Um, Something went down. And maybe this is even just in a non-production environment, right? Like we were pushing code, we were trying to test it and something broke, right? We were all hands on deck, right? Like to collect those metrics as you go how much time did we spend figuring out what the problem was? Um, How many outages or how many things broke over the past, you know, six months? And then leveraging these tools to do a small POC, a small proof of concept to say, oh, look, this actually decreased our time to get back up and running or this decreased our time to figure out what that bug was. And so I think going into those conversations, the data to back up and actually turning that into quantifiable um, money being spent and time being spent to fix these things is always, you'll get the attention of leadership. Yeah, definitely. One of the standards actually to reference the episode with Laura again, is that 99.99% uptime was still 52 minutes of downtime per year. Like just being able to show the converse of that. I don't know. I had no idea. I'd never done the maths in my head before, but it was super helpful in the last episode too. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, I know you mentioned Code Whisperer. Are there any specific either features in that service or applications and use cases that really stand out to you as something people should know about? Yeah. So my customers right now, like I said, we are going back. We're trying to get the unit test coverage up. We are trying to really get this thing productionalized so we can maintain um, the quality that we have up until this point. And so we've been trying to get those unit tests up. And we recently switched over to VS Code as our IDE. And I was like, hey, guys, you know, I did this Code Whisper um, workshop at reInvent. It's really awesome. I've been helping the team. Like, I am going to configure everyone's environment so we have Code Whisper up and running. And I've gotten really positive feedback from the team, not just on saving hours and hours of time on unit testing, but also a lot of our customers are new to AWS. So, you know, we're in sprint planning, we're talking about, okay, we're going to implement this new code build. We're going to implement this new um, Lambda function. And, you know, we want to integrate with DynamoDB and we want to query this thing, right? And we have this really complex like data pattern with all these different lookups and all these different like global secondary indexes. And 
having code whisperer, so you're not flipping back and forth, right? We're writing in Python, but so you're not flipping back and forth to that photo three documentation. And by the way, I've been working AWS for three years and I'm still flipping back and forth to the AWS documentation. So to save that time, instead of copy and pasting it in, filling in the parameters, right? It generates that for you. So it's not plug and play and it's working, but you know, kind of like we were talking about earlier, it gives you that baseline and then you can kind of take it and run. So it saves you that getting started, which is, in my opinion, always the hardest part. Yeah, just having something nicer to jump off from really helps you to get off on the right foot um, so you can spend your time in a more <laughs> useful way. Are there any other services that you can think of like that that also help customers that you've been working with? Yeah, so I've also been working with my um, separate customers with DevOps Guru. And so this was actually... Um, six months or so back, but we, I, you know, me and my ProServe team were helping them spin up this new POC. They were trying to build this internal application that was supposed to, or did help them save a lot of materials and lower their carbon footprint. So our customers were trying to crunch numbers. They were trying to look at, you know, different parts of their company and see where they could lower their carbon footprint. So they were ingesting huge data sets you know, every different data set was, you know, had new barriers to entry on their model. And so every time either the model had to be tuned or our um, compute wasn't big enough to really handle such load. And so with every new customer, right, like there was new problems, our infrastructure was breaking, a new corner case was exposed. And so by turning on DevOps Guru, we were able to give ourselves a little leeway in our production environment where when things were breaking, we can get to that. We could pinpoint that problem a lot quicker. Um, and so that was a huge relief for us as we were trying to, you know, change the wheels on the bus as we were running 100 miles an hour and just prove that, you know, this model that had been built did have a lot of value to offer. So it really helped us iterate and, you know, pinpoint the problem way, way faster. Yeah, I, I have so many questions. So one, <laughs> it fascinates me that you said something like, oh, uh, this customer is new to AWS. Like, the, so there's still, you know, I, I have a tendency to forget that, you know, we're in 2023, that people are moving to the cloud. And, and, and so what is their first point when there's a customer like that, that you're brought in? Is it because maybe they were in mobile and now they're looking for something with cloud or is it because they were doing applications? Like, how do they get started in there? What, like, what services are they using right away? <laughs> Yeah, I, I think the interesting thing, right, being like a consumer of technology, I think it's really easy to forget like the corporate side of technology and all of the yeah. internal things that are going on. And I, I think when we have a lot of customers that, you know, are new to the cloud, it's something like, you know, either they're still running on like data centers because it's these internal applications, right? Maybe they're not the most high priority. You know, people have been maintaining these for so long and they're, and they're doing their job and it's good. You know, they're keeping these internal systems up or it's um, in the case of this customer, right? Like they're a pure data scientist, right? They're, they don't have this like software engineering background. And so they have this, you know, instance that's spun up that they're doing like this whole Thing on that's like big enough to just run their model and yep. they have no idea how to take it and turn it into like an external facing like self-service um, application where they can be hands-off and so I think a lot of the times what 
we do with them and it's a really fun exercise is you kind of get to like work backwards and like what is the end product? Well, walk me through, you know, how you get to that solution and you get to pick apart the different pieces and you're like, okay, well, we could actually break this thing into a service. And I, I think always a really great place to start is like serverless, like spin up a couple lambdas, you know, yeah. some kind of like a DynamoDB database. And it's really easy to connect the dots and like get the flow going from, you know, maybe a couple of Python functions and something that they're already familiar with. I love that. I started out, I'd say my main coding career, I did consulting. So I got to see all the different companies and how there's jerks at every company and there's amazing people at every company and figure out like what I wanted to do next. But one of those industries I wound up in was pharma. And I would work directly with scientists who were doing pancreatic research. And I remember flying over to Antwerp, uh, Biersa, Belgium, and meeting these researchers, and they were writing code. I'm like, you're supposed to be researching cancer. And it's like, no, we need to write code in order to be able to analyze gene sequences. And they would have these Excel spreadsheets. And it was very, like what you're talking about, it was very, like it worked. It was kludgy, but they were getting the job done and they were using technology in a way. And so being able to bring all that across is, is awesome. I want to, I'm going to put a whole bunch of links because the fact that you wrote a whole workshop uh, and for, and did a workshop for Code Whisperer at reInvent, this is the first time I'm seeing this workshop. So like, I want to go through it myself. I'll make sure I put in that link and maybe you can talk a little bit about what that is. And then I love how you talked about sustainability too. That was an eye-opener for me. We had uh, Danilo on the podcast. Uh, AWS has a sustainability like report that you can look at and you can mm -hmm. think of things like a developer where what kind of you know instance are you using in Lambda? And that's actually affecting the amount of electricity that you're using and actually impacting the environment and things like that. So thank you for, for pointing out that I want to know more, and I know there's not that much that you can talk about unless we ask the customer. So, um, thank you for pointing that out. Can you can you talk a little bit about Code Whisperer workshop and how that came about, and uh, what what people can expect when they go through it? Yeah, absolutely. So, I was working with the Code Whisperer team to you know try out when they were in preview and work with the service and help write some supporting content as they were, you know doing all these releases. And so I had the pleasure of running a workshop for them at reInvent, which was super cool. It was my first time already. Oh, you know, first giant, uh, reInvent? Or first it was my work first reInvent. Um, oh my goodness. Second workshop that I've authored, but first first workshop at reInvent. So I'm already excited to go back yeah. and plotting new topics. Did you see Martin Garrix? <laughs> no, no, no. There's a video on my it was Twitter amazing. and I put party glasses on everyone and Dave was an absolute champion and helped hold up the flashlight to everyone because I, I was just the bouncer. I was the bouncer. Yeah. Everyone in the glasses and it's iconic. You should go and look at it. <laughs> yeah, you, you need to send me the link after. <laughs> but yeah, the workshop is a really good introduction to Code Whisper. It helps you walk through and build a microservice um, or three different microservices all in Python. Yes. You get to use a ton of different AWS services. And so it's essentially you build an app where you can upload an image and um, you can leverage AWS recognition and it'll tell you what's in the image. It'll store it and it'll pipe it back out to a third-party API to you know, do whatever it is else in your app that you need to do. So it's a really good intro just into the service, how to use it, how helpful it is when you're 
don't remember the API contracts that we have with AWS. And it's really fun. And so hopefully you guys get a chance to check it out. You get the gist pretty quickly. And so it also walks you through setting up Code Whisper, which um, I know I always have a hard time finding the VS extension. Yeah, it's like, oh, I got to go in to the IDE <laughs> and then I yeah. have to install the toolkit and then find it. And now it's, you know, it's a different IDE setup too. So if people have used it in preview, it now works a little bit different too. We actually implemented this really cool solution where we have VS Code running on top of SageMaker. I can't take credit for it. It's this oh, third-party nice. service called CodeServer, and it's it's really cool. So you just like spin it up. VS Code is like hosted in the cloud. All your dependencies are already set up, and so it's a lot less painful than your typical setup. Um, so hopefully, you guys like it. I think it sounds like a really good resume building project for someone. Like if they're looking for something to sort of beef up your resume, you really check through a lot of boxes in one workshop, like you've got cloud, you've got serverless, you've got some AI ML, you've got some APIs. I think it would be a really solid addition to a lot of developers' resumes. <laughs> yeah, I'm a big fan of learning through experience because I don't remember anything, but I remember when I mess up. <laughs> so it's like, it lasts a lot longer. You talked about DevOps Guru too. Can you just kind of baseline that for folks who, who haven't heard of the service before? Oh, yes. I got way ahead of myself. I'm sorry. So when you think of like, maintaining an application, right? You think of the operations, you're you know, making sure you don't go over those service limits, right? If something doesn't have too much load, right? If we're not doing serverless, maybe your um, like EC2 instance, right? Can't handle like the amount of like traffic that's coming in and you're eating yeah. up like CPU memory, whatever it is. So right, of course you have a production application, you wanna be tracking these things. And so how you do it in AWS is you'll, you know, typically, right? This is like, the most elementary way, you have your logs and your metrics coming into CloudWatch and you set up these different alarms. So you're like, here is my threshold. And you, you know, do a little research, you do a little analyzing and you pick a number and you are like, if it ever goes over this number, we're in trouble, right? We got to scale up. Or if it ever goes below this number, you know, think about sustainability, think about the cost, maybe we want to go down. And what's really cool about DevOps Guru is it'll track all of these CloudWatch metrics, but instead of having that hard threshold, it will say, oh, you know, traffic's been slowly increasing. Actually, it got to that point that you think is dangerous, but we're actually still really far away from like reaching that capacity. And so even though there's a spike, like we're still good. Wow. So, so, right. So instead of manually, you know, looking at these alarms and, you know, setting them and editing them, it will track all of these metrics coming into CloudWatch for you. What I also think is really cool, and I might be missing one thing, but it also takes in the different events. So it looks at CloudTrail. And so if I just push an update to my stack and all of a sudden my Lambda starts failing, it's going to associate those two events and be like, hey, Caroline, you probably pushed some bad code that might be linked to your failing. So it'll actually suggest fixes as to what's going on, how they think you could fix it. And um, it's pretty cool. I love the holistic approach to modern app development because it's looking at all these different pieces, right? Is I have Lambda, I have EC2, I have S3, and I don't know how all of that is interacting. And it's, does it have visual pieces to this too? Or is it all like people's getting emails and texts? It, so it does. So there's, if you go into the console, it has a really nice dashboard where it walks you through a couple different sections. I only ask because Brooke loves dashboards. I love a dashboard. I'm a big fan of a dashboard too. <laughs> yes, I am. Me, Caroline, you and I are dashboard fans. Brooke has just had a lot of dashboard trauma in the past. I don't like the a past. lot of dashboards. I think a lot of dashboards are bad. Some are useful, <laughs> but... <laughs> 
I'm like a visual person. So if I'm like, yes. oh, yeah, I'm yes. like, huh? What? And then I see it and I'm like, oh, that does look bad. Yes. <laughs> I just think I was saying to Dave earlier, it's like, it's very cat-like behavior sometimes. You know when cats just like look out of the window and they just want to see all the cars going past, they're not doing anything. They just look really intensely at everything that's happening. I think a lot of people get like that with dashboards, not realizing that if something's bad, they should try to fix it. Sort of like, <laughs> as long as the dashboard's green, I feel the dopamine. Right. <laughs> And it's all good, yes. What is really cool, though, is below all the dashboards, it does have this whole section where it's like, this is what we think was going wrong. This is how we think we can fix it. And it links you to the different things. And you're nice. talking about modern like architecture, right? We have all these microservices and your app depends on like 20 different services, if not more, to do what it has to do. And so sometimes it's really hard to remember, especially if you weren't the one that built it, like how does that connect and where does that go? And like, do we even have an updated architecture diagram? Because yeah. <laughs> nine times out of 10, it's not that accurate. So um, what I also want to give a cool shout out to DevOps Guru is you can enable it by region, which is definitely helpful based on where you're at. But what I think is even better is you could enable it by stack. So if you have one stack built for your microservice, it's going to link all of those things together and try to link those different events between those different services to be like, oh, well, that was the problem. So you right. don't have to do that detective work yourself. That's super handy. Is there anything you're really excited about for 2023? Ooh. I haven't given this much thought yet. I was on vacation until until Monday, so I'm, I'm slowly you. getting you back into things. You should be excited about your next vacation. That <laughs> I'm actually, we are, we're oh, honored that you came. That you you decided to still come on the podcast after yeah. being on vacation. So thank you. Oh, well, thank you guys for having me. Travel? Are you traveling again now to a different customer, or is it all basically in the New York metro area? A lot of our customers aren't traveling right now, which makes me sad. Pre yeah. the summer, me and my customers were meeting every PI to do PI planning in person. And it was so oh, fun. Awesome. It was yeah. so fun. Yeah. We'd be like building this new app and trying to figure out what that next page looks like. And um, you know, we'd be working backwards from the design and building out the data model and whiteboarding. It was so fun and interactive. Um, you just yeah. can't do that stuff virtually. But I'm nope. going to... And internal training in Dallas with some of my team next week, which I'm super excited about. So that'll be a good one. And I'm going to Hawaii next month for a wedding, which I'm also excited about. Talk about travel. It's not work and it's not customers. Yeah. But Have you ever been to Hawaii before? Once. I've never been. It's on my, my bucket list. And, you know, growing up at the Jersey Shore, it was all surfers and skaters. I was, a, I was a big skater. It's not what's on the MTV show, people. Those were all the people that came where, from New York, where other people were, not the <laughs> local shore natives. We were all skaters and surfers. And, so can you surf? Uh, I, was it my thing? I would go, well, first of all, I don't think you would mind saying so. Harry Maurer, who runs uh, Code Catalyst and Code Suite, was the surfer. And, and that he would be up at like four o'clock in the morning. That was a thing. So Dave now, uh, and, and my coworkers know this, I get up with the sun. So I get up naturally. I don't set an alarm. I get up 5.30, 6 a.m. And I go watch the sunrise. Dave in high school and growing up as a kid, you were lucky. Like if it wasn't a school, I'd be like doing the one, you know, sleeping until one. And so I could never do the surfing because I couldn't get up for it. <laughs> But I would go and I would skate. We had like, we would take our boards to high school. I would put it in the locker. That's how I got to and from high school. 
And then we, we had a half pipe in the woods. We, I was sponsored by a local uh, surf shop and we would skate for hours. Like we would get home from high school, we'd get out 142. And then I would just skate until eight o'clock at night, seven o'clock at night when I needed to go do homework. And it was amazing. Hey, but can we I, back up? You got off school at 142 PM. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and 710 is 710 is, is when homeroom was. Oh I have a weird memory. I remember I have a photographic memory too. So I can even remember looking at the clock at the time, which is how I recall the number. I keep yeah. hearing this about American schools because I always saw people on TikTok like getting the bus when it was dark or something and I could never understand it because in Australia school usually starts it's like nine till three basically oh that was our middle school but yeah why? Middle school. nine 335 function at 7 a.m your brain I know I know <laughs> yeah I think school needs a little bit of a reboot and I don't know I think academia overall we'll we'll see because kids are learning online yeah you're 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 uh you're speaking the truth there early but that yeah that's when my high school got out and i got on this whole tangent because there were people who were always talking well oh my gosh so we're talking about hawaii and then australia that's what they would talk about the waves in australia yeah and australia hawaii is, is known so as a was, surfing place yes it was like the <laughs> mecca too for for surfing and everything so yeah yes amazing well I hope that you have a wonderful trip. I'm sure you're going to have so much fun with your team in Dallas and learning all about new stuff coming. So thank you so much for taking the time. You're amazing. We adore you. Everything you're doing to help customers. This was awesome. You're welcome back anytime. And I can't wait to, I'm going to go check out the Code Whisperer workshop after this. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. This was so much fun. Yes. Thank you. Like I can't I okay, for context, every other episode I've been like bye. And then I was so worried that I would do it again because I didn't want Dave to make a super cut of this and then like even weirder. <laughs> <laughs>